everybody, welcome to the Bigger Insights Finance Podcast, where we'll help you build a life that you don't need a vacation from. Are you living paycheck to paycheck, or do you sit down every year and feel like you're just not going anywhere financially? If that's the case, which it is for a lot of Americans, let's be honest, have you given any consideration to what's probably your biggest expense, which are taxes? Now, there's a widespread myth out there that if you're an employee or you're not a wealthy business owner or investor or something like that, that you don't really need to be concerned about your taxes because you have no control over them and you can't minimize your tax burden or anything like that, which I'll admit, even I was guilty of at one point in the past. However, in this episode, we're going to try to convince you that even employees who don't have millions of dollars in assets should care about the tax code because Like I said before, it probably is your biggest expense if you really sit down and add it all up, and there are good options for you to legally reduce your taxes. Just as a quick caveat, we are not CPAs or tax attorneys or enrolled agents or anything like that, and this isn't tax advice, so be sure to check with your tax advisor before making any changes to your tax situation. If you subscribe to our podcast, which we think you should, you'll find that we're going to spend a lot of time talking about taxes. It's obviously not a very entertaining subject, but if you want to improve your financial situation, we think that learning a thing or two about the tax code is low-hanging fruit because there are a lot of opportunities, even for employees, to not only make more money, but also keep more money after you pay your taxes. We're going to produce an episode in the future where we go over the basics of the U.S. federal tax code, but the first thing you should know about the tax code is that all income is taxable unless explicitly stated otherwise. That's basically rule number one of the tax code, and it's a real head-scratcher when I see these articles like some crypto trader made a bunch of money and then gambled it all again and then lost it and now he has a huge tax bill because he didn't know that that income was going to be taxed. Now in fairness a lot of these stories were before the IRS was really weighing in on how exactly different crypto transactions would be taxed but still I mean anybody who knows anything about taxes should know that even if it doesn't state how crypto transactions are taxed, that they are still taxed. So let that be a warning to you in the future. If we come up with some new way of making income, even if it doesn't say that specific activity in the tax code, it's still taxable. The other thing you need to keep in mind is the other tens of thousands of pages of the tax code mostly revolve around giving you ways to save on your taxes. This involves, you know, countless numbers of tax credits and deductions and rules regarding tax-favored accounts and things like that. So the point of this is the way the tax code works at a high level is we're going to tax everything you make, and if you follow all of these other rules and you do the things that we think you should do, then we'll allow you to save on your taxes. Now, we can sit here and debate about the morality of that because basically the tax code is a giant social engineering experiment. However, it is what it is. If you want to improve your financial situation, this is a great place to start. 
Now, in fairness, it is true that many of these incentives are beyond what many employees can take advantage of, especially those who aren't an accredited investor. However, employees still have a fair amount of tax flexibility. There are many opportunities, but there are also many pitfalls, which we're going to talk about in this episode and in future episodes. Another primary reason why employees should care about the tax code is because whether they realize it or not, many of the decisions they make, like where they live, where they work, what they invest in, what kind of insurance they get, does affect their taxes and benefits quite a bit. For example, when one of our clients are considering moving, one of the things that we'll talk to them about are what the tax consequences are of the jurisdiction where they're considering moving to. And this is important because some state and local tax policies can really surprise you, and we don't want our clients to get hit with a nasty tax surprise. So for example, some jurisdictions around here in Cincinnati give you a 100% credit for taxes that you pay in the city where you work, whereas some of them will only give you, for example, a 50% credit. So in the latter case, you can be spending, you know, quite a bit more on taxes than you were planning on. And I'm convinced that a lot of people don't realize that until they actually move there and see their tax bill. We think this episode is very important because from our observations and experiences, what we notice is that when employees don't understand taxes, they suffer from a few major problems. The first of which is they're generally leaving money on the table, either paying way too much tax or missing credits or deductions. Another is that we see employees focusing on their after-tax pay as opposed to building wealth in a tax-efficient manner. And when they do that, the decisions they make lead to paying higher taxes. With their larger paychecks and lack of investment, they tend to just blow that money on personal consumption. And the third is that we observe that a lot of employees aren't even realizing how much money they're losing to taxes. And when you do that, you have no motivation to change anything. Because why fix something that you don't think is broke, and especially if you think there are no opportunities for you to improve your situation? So now let's get into some more specific examples. First of all, are your withholdings correct? If you're an employee and you get a W-2 at the end of the year, that means that you had to fill out a W-4 to withhold taxes from each paycheck. And the reason why the government does this is because they're concerned and probably correctly, that if they don't withhold taxes from people's paychecks, that they'll take whatever money they get and find some way to spend it. And then when their tax bill comes due, they're going to throw their hands up and say, well, I just don't have the money. Another reason why they do that is because a lot of people don't take the time to learn the tax code, which admittedly is pretty complicated. And because of that, they can't calculate their taxes. So they just fill out some information on their W-4 and then someone else will calculate what they think your taxes are and withhold that money from your paycheck. So then when you sit down at tax time to fill out your return, the purpose of that is to reconcile how much you should have paid in taxes with what you did pay in taxes through your withholdings. And if you're getting a refund, that just means that you overpaid your taxes and that the government was holding onto your money. So in other words, 
you basically just gave the federal government an interest-free loan. That's why it really bothers me when I see all these commercials on TV. Well, I used to see, I don't really watch TV anymore, but I'd see all these commercials like, oh, come down and, you know, buy our mattress. What else are you going to do with your tax refund? And I'm sure a lot of people fall for that because they don't understand how taxes work. But just keep in mind, a tax refund is not income. It's not like winning the lottery or something. That's your money that you just overpaid the government. So you shouldn't just go out and blow it like you found it on the street or something. Which, by the way, pro tip, if you do find money in the street, that's also taxable income. Now, when you fill out your withholding forms, you obviously need to do one for the feds. But in states that collect income tax, you'll need to fill out a withholding form with them as well. And in some of those states, like Ohio, they give you very little flexibility in how you fill those out. Ohio, for example, will make you withhold taxes even if you know that you're not going to owe them anything and then you got to file a return to get that money back. It's pretty messed up. But with the federal W-4 form, at least, it does give you a decent amount of flexibility to adjust your withholdings up or down depending on what you think your tax situation is going to be. So what we recommend that our clients do, at least with regard to the W-4 form, is to do their best to estimate their income, their deductions, their credits for the tax year, and then adjust their withholdings up or down to try to get their refund as close to zero as possible. Now, if you're really good at tax planning and you understand the tax code very well, you can do what I do and try to owe a little bit of money without owing so much that you have to pay penalties and interest. I don't know if you saw one of Trump's tax returns. There was like some memes going around about it. Um, I saw a Pawn Stars one where it said the IRS was asking Trump, Trump's accountants for millions of dollars in taxes. And it was a picture of Rick Harrison saying, the best I can do is 750 bucks. And that's not just a coincidence. $750 is a good amount to owe because you've been holding on to that money, which is really the government's money, interest-free, and it's below the $1,000 threshold for where you have to start paying penalties and interest. Now let's talk about tax-favored accounts. We're probably producing quite a few episodes regarding tax-favored accounts like 401ks, IRAs, HSAs, etc., and you might have some of these accounts and you might know a thing or two about them, but still, if you don't understand your taxes, you run into a lot of questions that are kind of uncomfortable because you don't quite know how to answer them. For example, how much should you contribute? When I was an employee, I had a 401k, which I could do Roth and or traditional contributions. I had a Roth IRA and an HSA, and every year I would sit down and try to answer this question. How much should I contribute? To which account should I contribute? Should I do pre-tax contributions, Roth contributions? Is this even worth my while? Or should I just pay the taxes and then have the money in my taxable accounts? And if your income starts picking up, you need to be worried about things like what the contribution rules are. It might surprise you how low the income limit is to be able to make direct Roth IRA contributions. If your income is lower, then you obviously have things to worry about like your personal cash flow, which could be a problem. 
You don't necessarily want to stuff tons of money into these accounts if you're going to have cash flow problems. And there are other things like the retirement savers credit, which can be helpful depending on your situation. Let's talk about health insurance. You might have multiple options at work. We do like HSAs, but we've noticed that a lot of people are kind of afraid of getting an HSA because HSAs require a high deductible health plan. And people just get so hung up on the sticker shock of that high deductible that they're not seeing all the amazing tax benefits that come along with an HSA. One of which is, and we'll go into this in a lot more detail in a future episode, but you can invest your HSA. It's not just a savings account where you collect, you know, 50 basis points of interest. You can invest the funds in your HSA in almost anything. You can invest in gold, silver, stocks, bonds, CDs, apartment buildings, livestock, all kinds of things in your HSA. If your income is a little bit on the lower side, there are two other health insurance things to keep in mind. One of those is premium tax credits. The calculation for those is not super complicated, but I think very few people who get premium tax credits actually understand how that works. It's mostly based on your modified adjusted gross income. So if you can pull some strings to adjust your modified adjusted gross income, then you might be able to get more premium tax credits. It's the same deal with Medicaid. If you're on Medicaid or you have dependence on Medicaid, or if your income is low enough, you might not understand, do you qualify for Medicaid? Or if you're expecting to make a little bit more money, you might be wondering, Am I at risk of losing Medicaid? This is a very common theme in tax planning, is not only maximizing your benefits, but also avoiding stepping on a landmine. I mean, imagine if you lost some premium tax credits or your Medicaid coverage because you picked up a few extra shifts at work and made some extra money, and that pushed you beyond an income threshold. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't find out those things until they sit down to do their taxes. But of course, by that point, it might be too late for you to do something about it. Although that's not always the case. That's one of the reasons why we like HSAs, for example. If you were to sit down and do your taxes at the end of the year, you might be able to contribute to an HSA and reduce your adjusted gross income if you need to. So that's a nice tool to have in your tax planning toolbox. Now let's switch gears and talk about income fluctuations, which can have a significant impact on your taxes. This is especially important for those of you who have the ability to work overtime or extra shifts, or if you earn commissions on sales or something like that, you might be wondering, hey, if I work more, how might that affect my taxes? If your income fluctuates to the upside, that can have some adverse consequences if you're not planning properly. And one of those are pushing you up into higher tax brackets. At the federal level and in many states, there are progressive tax brackets, which can increase the tax rate on additional dollars earned, which might not sound like a big deal, but it can really add up. I mean, I remember there were times when I was an employee that my boss would offer me the ability to work overtime, paid overtime, and I'd really have to you know, think about it in terms of whether that was actually worth it for me because I knew that the tax rate that I would pay on those overtime hours would be quite high. And then I'd have to kind of weigh that against, you know, how much I value my time. I could either spend that time on leisure, which has value, 
or I could spend that time doing something else like building a side business or investing. So that can be an important consideration depending on how much you're making. Increases in your income can also cause you to lose out on tax credits or deductions. You can lose the ability to contribute to certain tax-favored accounts, like what I was saying earlier about the Roth IRA. The upper income limit for that is somewhere in the ballpark of $150,000, which I realize that sounds like a lot of money, but, you know, depending on what industry you're in and where you live, that might not be that much money. So if you are interested in a Roth IRA, you might want to think about that because I think a lot of young people are thinking to themselves, I'll just worry about saving for retirement later. Well, if you do that and you happen to be making more than the income limit, then you've kind of got a problem. So let me give you an example of what taxpayers are looking at in Ohio in 2022, which by the way, we help our clients mostly electronically, you know, through web meetings and text messages and emails and things like that. But we are based in Ohio. So you'll probably be hearing a lot of examples from Ohio. So this is somewhat of a landmine that Ohio taxpayers might be looking at. But in Ohio in 2022, if you made between zero and $26,050, and that's the federal adjusted gross income, by the way, then you owe no tax to Ohio, no income tax, not a single penny. But if you made one extra dollar, $26,051, you would have to pay Ohio $360.69 plus 2.765% on any dollar over that. So if you were sitting at $26,050 and you decided to do something like make an extra sale or pick up an extra shift or something like that, you might not even realize that that you just incurred a pretty significant tax liability because you weren't paying attention to your taxes. So in earning that extra dollar, you've raised your tax rate from 0% up to 1.4% at $26,051. So if a client came to us with this predicament, one of the things that we might ask them to consider doing is contributing to an HSA or a traditional IRA to knock their adjusted gross income back down. And in the process, they'd probably pick up some retirement savers credit as well, at least in the case of the IRA, not the HSA. Another thing to consider would be tax loss harvesting, which we also help our clients with. And there's a lot of nuance to that. It's not quite as simple as what a lot of the articles make it seem to be in the mainstream media. So basically you can kind of trim the turds out of your portfolio and use those losses to offset some of your income. But there are a lot of strategies in there that, you know, people don't talk about. So we might, we might make an episode on that in the future. For example, you could sell something at a loss that you actually want in your portfolio and then use that money to buy something that's similar in that it'll give you the investment exposure that you're looking for, but not substantially similar, which is a technical term. And I realize you can't see my air quotes, but if it's not substantially similar, then you can still deduct that loss and not have to worry about the wash sale rule. But like I said, there's a lot of nuance to that. It's kind of complicated. So we might talk about that in a future episode. Now let's talk about income fluctuations on the downside because that happens as well. 
You might lose your job or you might quit and start a business or something like that. And that might not sound like a big deal to you, but even when your income is down, there are opportunities. And there is such a thing as your income becoming too low. There can be adverse consequences if your income drops below a certain point. For example, someone might be able to claim you as a dependent. You might lose premium tax credits, which is kind of weird to think about. You know, it it doesn't surprise anybody that if your income is too high, they'll cut you off on your premium tax credits. But if your income goes too low, which varies from state to state, you can lose your premium tax credits and they'll make you pay the full premium if you want a health insurance plan from the healthcare.gov marketplace. And their reasoning for that is if your income is that low, they think that you should be on your state's Medicaid plan rather than on the marketplace. But that's still something to keep in mind because I'm sure if you're looking for a job or starting a business or something like that, you probably don't want to deal with the headaches that come along with being on Medicaid, unless of course you really need it. So like I said, if your income does fluctuate to the downside, there are tax opportunities as well, and not just being subject to lower tax brackets. If you have investments, like a taxable brokerage account, for example, you can take advantage of what we call tax gain harvesting. Now, we've never heard anyone talk about this because people are so hung up on taking losses But if your income is low, you can consider tax gain harvesting. And basically what that is, is selling appreciated assets prematurely to take that gain on now and pay your taxes now when you're at a lower rate. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, why the heck would you want to do that? I mean, who wants to pay taxes? And the advantage of that is, like I said, your tax rate is lower now. But if you still like the asset, you can just rebuy it which raises your tax basis for future years. So in future years, when your income goes back up and then you sell that asset at a gain, it'll be at a much smaller gain, which reduces your taxable income. But like I alluded to earlier, there are some complications there. It's not quite as simple as that. You have to look at how increasing your investment income might affect other parts of your return. So the earned income credit, for example, has an investment income cap, which is rather low. So that's something to keep in mind. Also, when your income is low, keep in mind that your long-term capital gains rate might be 0%. So if your income is less than about $44,625, your long-term capital gain rate is zero. I think this doesn't receive enough attention, but you know, there are quite a few people out there making that much money And little do they know, they could be earning passive investment income tax-free. If your income is temporarily lower than it normally is, another thing you should consider is doing a Roth conversion. So basically, this is where you convert pre-tax contributions to a retirement plan, like an IRA or 401k, and you convert them over to Roth contributions. And when you do that, If the contributions to your traditional account were deducted previously, that conversion amount is now considered taxable income, which is unfortunate now, but if your income is lower now and your tax rates are lower, then that can save you quite a bit of money in the future. Because with a Roth account, when you pull that money out in retirement, that's all tax-free. So I'll share a personal story about that. 
When I was working at a job previously, the first 401k plan that they offered didn't have a designated Roth account, so I could only make pre-tax contributions. And this irritated me because I wanted to do a Roth because they can be very powerful and my tax rate was lower than I expected it to be in the future. So basically what I did was I made those pre-tax contributions, which deducted my taxable income, so that saved me you know, thousands of dollars while I was contributing. That money obviously grew tax-free. And then when I left my job and started Bigger Insights, my income dropped. So I used that as an opportunity to go back and convert some of those pre-tax contributions over to my Roth account. So basically, I saved thousands of dollars when I made those contributions initially. I saved probably thousands of dollars with tax-free growth. And then I'm going to end up saving thousands of dollars in the future when I pull that money out in retirement. Now, we're not a huge fan of retirement accounts, but that's not a bad deal. And another thing that doesn't get talked about enough, which we'll talk about in future episodes, is that a Roth IRA is more powerful than a traditional IRA because one of the unique features about it is you can pull your basis out at any time, tax-free, penalty-free. And there are some five-year rules around that, like, you know, once I did my Roth conversion, then I have to wait for five years for those to basically mature before I can take that money back out. But in general, it's more tax efficient to take money out of a Roth IRA than it is a traditional IRA before retirement. So if you want to take advantage of the tax code, but without locking that money up for, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years until you retire, a Roth is a great option. Because let's face it, you know, things change, plans change, bad things can happen, or you might come across a very good investment opportunity and you might want to pull that money out of your retirement accounts without getting hit with a big penalty. But like I said, this stuff does get complicated. So we think it's important that you learn the tax code because you can sit down and do some tax planning and do things like, okay, well, if I, you know, contribute a thousand dollars to this, what happens to my taxes? Or if I earn a little bit of extra money or I don't, you know, how does that affect my earned income tax credit or my retirement savers tax credit or how much of that can I get refunded? You can also play games like contributing to a Roth IRA, getting the retirement savers credit, and then withdrawing your Roth contributions if you want to. So that gets a little bit complicated, but you can do it and there are good opportunities here. So for example, we sat down with the client once and we showed him that if he could reduce his adjusted gross income a little bit by contributing a very specific amount to his HSA and then contribute a very specific amount to his Roth IRA, then he could maximize not only his earned income credit, but also his retirement savers credit. But again, if you don't know how to calculate your taxes, there's no way you can do that. You're just praying for the best and you know, probably 999 times out of a thousand, that's going to result in you paying extra taxes. Let's talk about retirement planning for a little bit. Knowing a thing or two about taxes can really help with that because otherwise, you know, how do you know when you can retire? How do you know how much money you need saved up for retirement? Which by the way, we're not a huge fan of the whole 
you know, hand over your savings to Wall Street for 40 years and save up a big nest egg and then quit and spend, you know, the rest of your life blowing leaves out of your front lawn or something because you don't know what to do with yourself. So we'll probably be talking about retirement planning quite a bit in future episodes. But if that's what you're doing, then these questions are very pertinent. You might want to be thinking about inflation. Will cost of living adjustments keep up? You know, how does your state tax retirement income? Because that can get kind of complicated. I mean, just think about this. An average couple in the United States will need about $300,000 in retirement just for medical care. And the first time I heard that, I was thinking to myself, like, well, how could that be? That's insane. And what I wasn't thinking about was about two thirds of that are Medicare premiums alone. You know, that stuff ain't free. Social security payments are also kind of complicated. You need to be thinking about things like the Social Security Administration gives you some flexibility in terms of when you start collecting Social Security, and that can have very serious implications on your finances. Because if you start collecting earlier, like at age 62, for example, then you're going to get a much smaller payout, and that's a permanent decision. You also need to be thinking about whether you're going to collect while you're still working, because there can be some adverse consequences there as well. And you need to be thinking about how that income is taxed at the federal, state, and local level. You should also be aware that Social Security and Medicare benefits are based on your earned income and the taxes paid into those systems. When I was younger, I used to see all of these little warnings. You might have seen them, but if, you're, if you read some documentation on HSAs or something like that, you might see these little warnings in fine print that say something like, oh, contributing to an HSA might reduce your Social Security benefits. And the reason for that is because your HSA contributions are excluded from Social Security taxes. So when they're calculating how big your Social Security payments are, they look at your income history, which excludes your contributions to your HSA and other plans. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. It just means that this stuff is complicated And if you don't understand how it works, you're probably not going to make very good financial decisions. You should also be cognizant of how you structure your retirement accounts, because some of them are subject to required minimum distributions, and some of them are not. And that might be a big deal to you, because you might not want to be forced to make a distribution, whether that be for tax reasons, you know, maybe that year you had a lot of other income, or maybe you want to save that account for you know, one of your heirs. And required minimum distributions can also be a headache depending on what kind of assets you have in that account. If you have something like a Roth 401k that owns nothing but an apartment building, for example, well, how are you going to divide that up so that you can take your required minimum distribution? So one of the things that you can do, for example, is roll that Roth 401k over to a Roth IRA because Roth IRAs are not subject to required minimum distributions. All right, so that pretty much wraps up this episode. Make sure you subscribe and stay tuned because we're going to produce a lot of episodes in the future talking about the tax code, tax favorite accounts, retirement planning, getting out of debt, investing in stocks, bonds, real estate, precious metals, commodities, and other personal finance topics. In the meantime, we've got some action items for you. There's a few things that you might want to start doing so that you can help manage your taxes. 
One is learn how to invest. There are a lot of tax incentives for investors. And along those lines, start educating yourself on 401ks, IRAs, HSAs, and other tax favored accounts because there are a lot of opportunities there as well. We also recommend that all of our clients start doing some very basic tax planning, which you should really be doing at the beginning of the year, the end of the year, and throughout the year as things change. But a great place to start there is to start estimating your future income. I mean, obviously no one has a crystal ball, but if you can estimate whether your income is going to be higher or lower, for example, then you might be able to make better decisions. And you should also get into the habit of actually reading your tax return after it's prepared by whoever does it for you. And you should be able to look at it and list all the numbers that apply to your situation and see where they come from. That's actually how I started learning about the tax code. Every year before I filed my return, I would check it for errors and see if I could understand and calculate every number that was on the return. And once I could do that, then I could make a workbook that would essentially serve to be like a simplified version of TurboTax to where I could type in my numbers in the future and have a very good idea as to what my tax return will look like the next year. Now, that doesn't sound very impressive, but the advantage there is that I could do things like, okay, well, what if I earn some extra money? How does that affect my bottom line? What if I contribute X amount to this account or Y amount to that account? And then I can see in real time, not just how much tax I expect to pay, but other things like, oh, well, now I miss out on this credit or I miss out on that deduction. And another advantage is, since I already know roughly what my 1040 should look like when I get my draft returns from my accountant, I can compare my numbers to his numbers. And I don't know, maybe my accountant isn't very good, but sometimes my numbers are actually more accurate than his are. Another thing you might want to consider doing is thinking about how you can make money without a J-O-B. And one of the best ways to do that from a tax standpoint is starting a business. You know, I understand that not everybody is Elon Musk, but you don't have to start a SpaceX to start a good business and take advantage of some of the tax incentives that the tax code provides. And the best thing you can do is obviously consider becoming a bigger insights client. We help our clients get out of debt, make more money, save more money, save on their taxes, plan for retirement, etc. So they don't have to live paycheck to paycheck for the rest of their lives, which unfortunately it's looking like a lot of Americans are going to end up doing. So if that sounds interesting to you, head over to our website, biggerinsights.com, and fill out the very short form at the bottom of the page, and we'll reach out to you to schedule your initial consultation. And finally, make sure you share this podcast with your friends and family, especially people who are early on in their career or are graduating from college soon, because the sooner they get this information, the sooner they can get set on the right track. Because unfortunately, I think a lot of people don't start thinking about these things until they wake up one day and they're in their 40s or 50s and think to themselves, crap, I'm supposed to be retiring soon. I've got virtually no retirement savings and I have no idea what I'm going to do. And we don't like seeing that. So if we can help people avoid that situation and make a little bit of money in the process, we think that's a win-win for everyone. All right, that's everything. So thanks for staying until the end. Make sure you subscribe 
and go reduce your tax burden.